So I had the privilege of serving as a marriage and family pastor for a significant amount of time. And I'll just share with you that in that process, one of the things that I learned is that there are a lot of single people who would like to be married. And there's also a lot of married people who would like to be single, you know? If we're honest with ourselves, today we're going to look at a set of, of verses, 17 verses that the Apostle Paul penned in the series that we've been going through called The Prodigal Church. And I'll just remind you, God God's desire for us is to live in a different way than the world that's around us. And, and in fact, for some of us, we recognize that we're surrounded by a world that gets some of the things in the wrong way, in the wrong place. And in fact, they either ignore certain things and then we see the consequences of it. Do you guys remember this picture? I put this up a couple of weeks ago, the crocodile. And I use this illustration to say that we recognize that, that there are places where, like in this context, I told the story of a tribe that was surrounded by crocodiles. And in that process, there were people who'd been maimed and damaged and wounded by crocodiles, but they chose not to talk about them. They were taboo in their society. And, and, and the illustration is, it, do, you, do you guys see the crocodile in there? Uh, I'll point him out for you. I didn't do this a couple weeks ago, but I'll do it for you right there. So he's, he's just looking right there, okay? There's his eye and he's aiming that direction. So, so what we recognize that in the world that you and I live in is that we are surrounded by a sex-saturated culture, that, that there are people that are around us that are being chewed up and, and spit out through things like addiction, through misunderstanding sexuality, misunderstanding the gift of it. And, and God is not silent about this. In fact, I'll remind you, the book of Song of Solomon is written about the intimacy of a marriage relationship, the exclusivity of a marriage relationship based upon God's design for it. Some of you are like, what did I sign up for when I came to church today? Um, this isn't awkward, it is necessary. And the reason I say that is we live in a society that is not just saturated by this, but it has a perspective of this that does not understand the very designer's gift to us of God's design. And I'm encouraged this morning because I want to remind you that there is a sacredness in God's design for marriage. I also have the privilege as we study these 17 verses together that there's a sacredness in God's provision of singleness as well. And so as we look at this, some of us in the room, we look at our own plight, our own situation, our own story, and I want to encourage you this morning. The Apostle Paul is going to speak to us in the very position that we are. And I love the fact that God does this in his word. I love that we don't have to be afraid of this. I love my, um, the president of the university or the college that, or seminary that I attended, Chuck Swindoll, he tells the story that he was speaking at uh, Moody Bible College. And from the, from the pulpit, after he had preached about trusting the Lord and his faithfulness, uh, a woman who was a widower came up to him and she said, I've been just trusting the Lord to provide for me a husband, but I, I trust him. I trust that he knows my needs. And she said, what I've done e each night is I hang up a pair of jeans on my bedpost and I say this prayer, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and answer it if you can. I've hung a pair of proud trousers here. Please fill it with a man. <laughs> I love that. And so, so, so Chuck, so Chuck tells that story at his church then in Fullerton the next weekend. And he said, you guys, I know you judge me for this sometimes. He's like, it didn't fit in the sermon, but I just found a way to fit it in, you know? And he said, as he's saying it, that he could see in the audience, which by the way, we can see you. Um, I'm not pointing at anyone, uh, but he is looking at those who are in the audience and he notices a family that he knew personally and they're 
um, the, son, the son and father was there, but the mom wasn't there. She must have been sick or something. And so he tells the story. He just thinks it's hilarious. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, he gets a note from their mom. And she said, um, Pastor Swindoll, I'm not sure if I can, should be concerned about this, uh, but my teenage son, uh, I went into his bedroom and I noticed that after church, he had a bikini hanging off the back <laughs> post of the, isn't that great? Uh, I don't know if I should have told that story or not, but um, there is a reality about the intimacy of marriage that when we study these words together, the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us today that in the process of seeking God's will for relationships, I, I want to remind you that this is not about you and I finding the right person. And I think that often when we think about marriage in general, we think about relationships, that it's, it's often that Charles Shedd put it this way. He says, this is not about finding the right person. It is about being the right person. And we're going to see in God's word this emphasis uh, at, in the last verse that we're going to study today that it says this. It says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul calls that the secret of being content in all circumstances. God's word is going to go on to teach us in the book of 1 Corinthians multiple specific teachings that are going to challenge us in our understanding understanding of marriage, of divorce, of relationships, of singleness. And I want to celebrate the fact that this topic is not ignored in God's word, but kind of, kind of like the, the fireplace that I have at my, I love my wood-burning fireplace in my home. It's, a, it's an awesome gift uh, to us. We, we have to chop wood. We have to let it season. We have to add it into, uh, you know, we, we use this consistently throughout the winter. And, and, I, and, and in the right place and in the right time, a fire is an incredible gift. But I also remember a kid that I grew up with in high school that uh, when, when he was a little bit younger, he was in our youth group and he was a great friend. Uh, he like literally did what we were all warned not to do and that was he was playing with matches. And while he was playing with matches, he, he got a match inside of an, a little bird's nest and he uh, ended up picking it up and his hand got hot and he just did the natural, like chucked it up and it ended up landing in the gutter of his home, literally burned their home down to the studs. Now, now, I want you to think about the, the gift of sexuality, the way God's going to describe it here. And it's not shameful. It's actually a gift from the Lord. But I want us to understand in the right time, right place, it is a gift. Wrong time, wrong place, it can be devastating. And as we talk about these words together, I want to share with you a few qualifiers for this. First, God's not afraid to talk about it. And therefore, we are not ashamed to, to talk about it. But even in the book of Song of Solomon, one of the things that he emphasizes, which I think is profound, he says multiple times, do not so arouse and awaken love until it so desires. In other words, there's a time for this in our lives. And so God's not afraid to talk about it. We recognize it. I, some of you don't know this about me, but when I was in Dallas, I had the privilege of serving in a church as their singles pastor. I worked with young couples, young, uh, I mean, sorry, young singles, and it was a huge privilege for us to do that. We loved that ministry. And I think the Lord in his wisdom has chosen to bless 
individuals who are single to have meaningful ministries. In fact, when we understand the truth of the New Testament, many of the individuals, including the Lord Jesus Christ, were single. And as we study singleness a little bit today, there's an affirmation of the fact that really our marital status or the lack thereof does not define our identity. But instead, we can recognize this as a gift from God in the right place. We can recognize God's intentionality for providing that gift. And what we recognize, even as we study this, that the Apostle Paul, who painted these words that we're going to study, we don't have enough information about him to know completely what, what his singleness was based upon. And I want you to understand this. We don't know enough about his life, whether he had never been married, had he become a widower, or if his wife had left him. So, so here, when he talks about, I wish you were as I am, he's honoring marriage but he's also recognizing the fact that God in this time in his life have, has found him to be a single man. And some of us in this room, that's our story. We, we have a different testimony than maybe what we expected to have. But here, what he's going to do is he's going to glorify the Lord in this process. He's going to honor him in this. And so we admit that this is an awkward thing to talk about a little bit, but it's too important. Do you agree with me at this? It is too important for us not to talk about. And so this morning, as we turn our hearts to God's word, we recognize that there was something that was happening in the early church that was, especially in Corinth, that they were getting confused. We studied this a couple of weeks ago that in the early church, especially in Corinth, because they were in such a sex-saturated culture that they misunderstood what it meant to be forgiven by God. And they had decided that a group of them in the church had decided, we can live however we want to. That, that the, the decisions that we make concerning our sexuality don't impact us because we're spiritual beings or that we were bought with a price. And so there was a group of people who believed that. What's crazy is that this morning, the first verse that we're going to look at in chapter 7, verse 1, was another, I think, misunderstanding and that it quotes what was common in the day. So the other slogan was, was that everything is permissible. Then this quote um, was also this idea that, oh, we're so spiritual that we, we never touch one another. We're so spiritual that, that it, is, it is so unholy for a person to be engaged in anything physical or a physical relationship that, that the Christian response ought to be not to have anything to do with it. And you know what Paul's going to say back? He says, you don't understand God's word. You don't understand the Lord's teaching in these areas. He's going to honor what, what is marriage. He's also going to challenge them to understand it from God's perspective. So I'll remind you, this is not about us finding the right person, but it's about us being the right person and trusting and understanding God's provision for us. The first point this morning that comes from God's word is marriage is a sacred gift. Chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Now, this is, this is a cue for us to note as we're studying this, that Paul is responding to this church that he loves, that's made up of believers, a issue that they're coming up with. They, they wrote him this letter, hey, Paul, what, what about this? And so we don't have the letter that he wrote, but we understand that it contains this idea. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Some of your translations say not to touch a woman. Uh, and this is not about man, woman. This is about recognizing that there's intimacy in a relationship. And it's important for us to understand that their motive, it said in verse 2, was, 
was to, I think, to be spiritual, to, to say maybe this is how we respond to a sex-saturated culture. And Paul's response back is actually quite gracious, but also helpful for us. It says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality. Don't be confused. They were surrounded by it, like you and I are. But because of the ten- temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, woman, her own husband. And in this description, it's very important. This is a, an argument against what was common in that day, polygamy. This was also an argument of the uniqueness of the covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. So Paul is saying, God designed this gift of sexuality to be a gift within the confines of the marriage relationship. Gary Thomas, who wrote the excellent book, The Sacred Marriage, has this statement. And I think it helps us as we think about the way the world looks at sexuality versus the way God has designed it for us. Gary Thomas says this, in a human-centered view, we maintain our marriage as long as our earthly comforts, our desires, and our expectations are met. I want to pause there for a second in this quote. Uh, As a marriage and family pastor, I would often have people sit in my office and they'd say things like, that person isn't the person that I married. They're, they're disappointed. Like what, what this is, or often there'd be this quote that was very common that would say, my friends tell me it shouldn't be this hard. And I, I think about the statement that Gary Thomas has said. He said, in a man-centered view, we maintain our marriage as long as our earthly comforts, our desires, and our expectations are met. But in a God-centered view, we preserve our marriage because it brings glory to God. And it points a sinful world to a reconciling creator. In other words, our marriages can represent what it means to be fully satisfied in the God that has designed us. So sexual intimacy is designed by God as a gift from God. And I say amen to that. That's, that's awesome that God has designed this. And he goes on to say this in verse 3. He says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. That's a kind of a weird way to say. Uh, he's, I think he's keeping this PG here. Um, but we know what he's saying. He says this, and likewise the wife to her husband. And it's It's so good. I was talking about this passage with a friend this week, and I was just saying what I love about God's word is that this isn't a misogynistic thing. This isn't a, this is actually a mutual thing that recognizes the gift and uniqueness of marriage, that recognizes the intimacy of it. And also, as we've talked about it here, it's, it's like a bank investment into the health of a marriage, or it's like a glue that is designed by God to help to hold a marriage together. And when it's torn apart and neglected, it exposes us vulnerably to the things that are so common in the world. Verse four, for the wife does not have complete authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Some of us look at that and they say, what does this mean? Well, when God invented marriage, he said that the two shall become one, that there's an intimacy that goes through that process. And that's not just physical, it's emotional, it's connecting together. And so here, what he's saying is we mutually share life and responsibilities and burdens and also intimacy at the most intimate level with one another. I love that way Matthew Henry, the the Um, In his commentary, he says this, and I think it's really uh, powerful. He says, The woman was not made out of the head of man to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. 
but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. That this, this intimacy that is designed with mutual connection with one another is a gift, and it's designed within the exclusive marriage relationship. Proverbs 5.15 puts this so beautifully. I love this phrase. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. He's saying that this is a gift from God, and it ought to be deemed precious. And it goes on to say in verse 5, do not deprive one another. Now, now, if you've been through, going through this study through 1 Corinthians, last week I even said that there are appetites that we have in our life, some of them despicable, that do not have to be fed. Praise the Lord, we don't have to feed all of the temptations that we have in our life. But what, so, so you read this passage, you wait, wait a second, Paul, Paul is going to say that it's appropriate to feed certain appetites. And it's important for us to understand God-given appetites, when they're in the right context, are a gift from God. And that's what Paul is arguing here. He's saying, except perhaps, so he says, do not deprive one another, but he says, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There, there's a lot going on here, and it's appropriate to understand ceremonial uncleanliness and things that would, but, but what's really essential here is he's saying that if, if there's any separation in a marriage relationship, it should be temporary, it should be for a good reason, and it should be in a time of agreement. This is very different than something that's very common today. Do you hear people say this statement, oh, in our marriage, we're just taking a break? Have you heard this before? I don't even know what that means, right? Um, statistically, what we know is that about 13% of marriages can survive a time where there is a legal separation between a couple. You know, so what we're saying is often we think like we're going to separate and we're going to figure all this stuff out. And, and I'll tell you, there's times where I've counseled that. But, but what we recognize here is that he's saying to them that, that this is only for a temporary time, for a restoration reason, for a spiritual reason. And then there's a return back to the intimacy that God's designed for relationships. Now, some of you are looking at the reality of this in your own life. I've had people share this with me. This is no longer able to be a part of our marriage, or there's complexities that are associated with this. And I want to remind you, this is not just about sexual intimacy. It's about emotional intimacy. And it's talking about the connection. Some have described it as the weaving together of two souls. That's a good definition of for a lifetime in the covenant marriage relationship. That's a good definition of marriage. And so we commit to one another for a lifetime, not just physically, but emotionally, even spiritually. So we see marriage as a sacred gift. But we also recognize that, according to the Apostle Paul, singleness is also a sacred, God-honoring, set-apart gift. Verse 6 says this, Now, as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. And at this time, Paul is a single man. But each has his own gift from God, one of, uh, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Let's be honest, singleness has some advantages. Um, according to the, the Apostle Paul, later in this passage of Scripture, he's going to talk about the fact that singleness can distract us from our mission. The Apostle Paul was kind of an Indiana Jones type 
pastor leader in the early church. He, he was on the move. He took these great missionary journeys. There was never a time when you saw him anticipating returning back to his wife, his family, like the apostle Peter and others that we see in the New Testament. He was an independent man and he was not entangled in some of the things that a person who, like me, my primary ministry, and this is important maybe for you to hear, the moment that I got married on November 25th in the year 2000, my wife and I, what, we rec what I recognized is that Allie was going to be my first primary ministry. Beyond that, when the Lord blessed us with children, my family was going to be my first, no offense to y'all, um, but I'm going to have them probably a little longer than I'm going to have some of you, okay? And I don't say that uh, um, to be obnoxious. I'm saying that when God called me into that, that's the reality of being a father. That's the reality of being a parent. That's the, the reality of being a spouse. So when the Apostle Paul says, you guys remember what he went through, shipwrecks. He, he was a person who was imprisoned. He suffered so much. You remember God said, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So his singleness, uh, like the Lord Jesus, like others who are single in scripture, provided him opportunities, in Paul's language, to miss some of the distraction that's associated with the blessing of a marriage relationship and a parent relationship. So um, I say this also humbly, you know, I joked about it at the beginning that there's some married people who uh, wish they weren't. And um, the reality is that it is better to have no spouse than to have the wrong spouse. And when I say that, I say that to many of you who are wrestling through, is it time for me to get married? Is it time for me to make this decision? And I'll just remind you that, that you're going to spend more time with this person than anybody else in your life, more than likely. You're going to share life and experiences and circumstances together. And if you don't share the same faith, if you don't share the same calling, it is complicated, difficult and it's a struggle. I like the way that um, Socrates puts it. He says, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, twice blessed you'll be. If you get a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. I love that. Uh, I like the, um, this, this statement um, that getting married is like buying a phonograph record. You buy it for what's on one side, but you have, it, you have to take the, take the flip side of it as well, right? And so, so we recognize in the marriage relationship that in the sacred marriage book, one of the things Gary Thomas talks about is it's my sin nature meshed together with Allie's sin nature. And that struggle becomes the struggle of our marriage relationship together. So does singleness solve all your problems? No. Does married, being married solve all of your problems? No. But does the Lord provide for us what we need to be successful in those types, those, the reality of those? Of course he does. And so there's a recognition that this, there's a satisfaction. We can be fullest, fully satisfied through God's provision regardless of your marital status. Do you guys believe that? Do, do you understand why that's so essential? Because our lives, for some of us in this room, we find ourselves single again. Uh, for, for some of us, we recognize that we may aspire to something that the Lord hasn't provided for us. And so um, it helps me as we continue on into verse 9. The third point this morning is God has given us what we need to approach the most difficult of relationships in our life. 
I think that it's appropriate to mention here that in this room, we recognize that there are people in this room that have experienced divorce. There's people in this room that have lost beloved spouses that have, that have died. We recognize that there's a com complexity to even talking about divorce and in this context, remarriage. For some of you, your divorce, if you're divorced, it may be, have, have been a result of uh, the decisions of other people. You didn't choose it. For others of you, you may have been the reason why a divorce took place in the first place, and it's an issue of, of guilt or shame or discouragement. For some of you, it was BC, before Christ, right? For others of you, the reality of the consequences of it have impacted your life. But I, uh, my, my wife, her parents um, were divorced when she was very young, and it was a complex story. If you get a chance to hear it, uh, but one of the things that Allie will say, and I want you to hear this carefully through her parents' divorce, but then remarriage, that Allie will say what, what Joseph said that day when he said what man intended for evil, at some point we we're able to say that God allowed it for good. And, and there was a redemption and a redemptive story. And I say to you that while the, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about divorce as being the last option, I think it's also appropriate for us to say that the Lord that I serve is a God of redemption and he knows how to restore the most broken of things. And it's incredible if you study the line of the Lord Jesus Christ that even through the tragedy of King David and Bathsheba that, that Jesus would come from that line. There would be good that came out of something that was a tragedy. So it says this in verse nine, the apostle Paul says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So this is not a call to get married, only to satisfy sexual appetites. I've said that if we do not understand how to put these things in the right place, that they are not instantly solved by marriage, but they are aided through the marriage process. So this appetite, uh, even children that are often a result of a marriage relation, these are gifts from God. And, and so when Paul goes on to say this to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. I want us to understand that he's not distancing himself from this testimony. He's actually saying, this is what Jesus taught about this subject. He says, but to the married, I want to remind you what Jesus taught. The wife should not separate from her husband. This is more of an emphasis on the topic of divorce. And in that culture, like our culture today, um, divorce was very easy. It, it could be a male or a female, like anybody involved could do it. And it was as simple as, as tearing up a piece of paper in the Roman culture. So he says, he says something that's radical, countercultural. He says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So here he holds and honors marriage. And I, I, I love that Earl um, Grohlman, a professional, professional divorce lecturer, what he says. He says, as an author, he says this. He says, divorce can be more traumatic than death. He says, the big difference is death has closure. It's over. With divorce, it's never over. I think that's profound. We recognize that, that divorce is something that has uh, incredible impacts on those who participated. And so the Apostle Paul is challenging us to understand that divorce is something that ought to be avoided if possible. And I remind you of this simple fact for those of you who are married. 
um, that um, for those of you who are struggling in your marriage, marriage works, but it takes a lot of hard work. And here, reconciliation is the goal that Paul is laying out for these believers. He says in verse 12, to the rest I say, again, I, not the Lord, that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And, and, and this idea is to say, as a Christ follower, the power of the gospel in the home is so powerful that the hope is that that person becomes a believer over time. I had an awesome experience of doing a wedding ceremony one time for a couple that had divorced 20 years prior um, they had kids together, and then they reconciled 20 years later, and this wedding ceremony was awesome. Can you picture this? So they, they reconciled even after such a difficult time. I, I love this statement that surrendering, uh, when you understand the, uh, the, the intensity and gift of a marriage relationship, surrendering should not be an option. If you plan to win a war or succeed in a marriage, I firmly agree with San Francisco attorney who, who said this. He said this, there are two processes that must never be started prematurely, embalming and divorce. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, like the, that we, we recognize that this is something that's precious. Billy Rose, uh, some of you'll recognize that name. He told the story about a man who after 20 years of marriage decided to divorce his wife. And in preparation for it, as they were going to meet with their lawyers, he got out the financial statements and he began rummaging through his old checks. One canceled check after another stirred up memories of a life long forgotten past. The check to the hotel where they stayed, they, they um, had their honeymoon. The check on to, uh, for their first car. The check for the hospital bill for their daughter's birth. The check for the down payment on their home. Finally, he could stand it no longer. He pushed the checks aside he reached for the telephone, he called his wife, and he told her they'd invested too much in each other to throw it all away. And he asked her to start it over and to begin with a fresh beginning. I, I've seen God do that in the life of couples, that they've invested in too much. I've seen marriages saved. And, and, and what he's saying here is if this is possible. So in, in Romans it says, live at peace with everyone as long as it is up to you. There's a, a desire to honor and to care for a marriage, but sometimes it's impossible. In fact, we'll see this in verse 14. It, it says the consequences of fighting for it can be very positive for the unbelieving husband is made holy. This term doesn't mean he's saved. It means that he's set apart, that he's more likely to be saved when he's within the confines of a person who's living the Christ life because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Again, she is in the context of someone who can share the truth of the gospel. Otherwise, the children are impacted as well. They would be unclean, but it is um, as they are, it, they are holy. So, so this believing spouse, the believing parent can have an impact on their kids and their non-believing spouse. But I'll tell you that I have watched families wrestle through this, struggle with this. But in the end, we've also seen stories of times when a spouse finally says that they're in. <laughs> I love this in verse 15. It says, but if the unbelieving partner... So, so I want you to catch this. I don't love this part. I, I recognize this in a bitter, bitter sweetness of this, that God has made provision for divorce in the context where it's appropriate. He says this, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. 
So, so here, even in God's wisdom, we recognize biblically that there are grounds for divorce. There are times when a marriage bed has been so defiled that it gives the opportunity for a person to separate themselves, to not be enslaved in the covenant of marriage relationship. I will also say that it doesn't necessitate that. And there are times when we've still seen God reunite couples that were in deep distress and suffering. Then he goes on to say, for how do you know, in verse 16, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will be a means of salvation for your wife? And then verse 17, this is where we began this morning. It says this, this is so valuable for each one of us. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. The re reason why that last bit of that sentence is there is that there were churches, there were, there were other churches that were getting this right, and the church in Corinth, in their prodigal state, were missing out on God's provision, his design, his intimacy for them. And I just want to challenge you as we come to the conclusion of this message I want to challenge you to understand that that last sentence reminds us that God cares about the most intimate details of our life. For some of us, we live our lives standing back and we say, does God care about this? Does God even know about this part of my life? And here, what he talks about is some of the most difficult, most intimate, most personal aspects of our lives. And in the midst of that, you know what he does is he infuses it with simple and beautiful hope. And I want to encourage you this morning as we see this, that, that God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. He is in the restoration business. Praise the Lord for that, right? That he's provided for us what we need in order to be able to do what that says in verse 17, to lead the life that the Lord has assigned for him. You, you, some of us, we feel like we're on that that um, the rescue boat that's in the middle of the ocean that we've been abandoned completely. Good luck, figure it out on your own. Now, what I understand the God that I serve to be doing is that he has said to me, Sean, I love you, I care about you, I have a plan for you, and I want you to be content in the life circumstance that I've provided for you in your life. If you understand that, you understand what the Apostle Paul called the secret of being content in all circumstances. That secret is one that's worth knowing. Would you join me in prayer as we, um, as we commit ourselves to following the Lord in this? Lord, I love you and I thank you for your word that promises us that it will not return void. I thank you that you know us well enough to know areas of temptation, to know areas of discouragement, areas of fear. And Lord, that you are not leaving us to suffer in a world that gets this wrong. But instead, Lord, through your infinite grace and wisdom and kindness, you've given us a pathway forward through some of the most difficult um, relationships in our lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here. Some of them, I know that as we talk about this, we're talking about very personal things that have had an impact on their life or on loved ones. Um, and Lord, as we, as we close out this service this, this morning, uh, there's a part of this declaration that we're saying, Lord, that we want to be desperately dependent upon you. You are the most important thing about us, and we celebrate your intimate knowledge of the most intimate parts of our lives. You're good. Your love endures forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.